Take your Bibles out and turn with me tonight to Daniel 9. almost feel like I need to start over again. We've forgotten a lot, haven't we? Did everybody get an outline of tonight? If you didn't, raise your hand. If you did not get an outline. Looks like everybody's got one. Okay, Daniel 9. As we get ready to read Daniel 9, a few other passages that I will read for you as well. You probably recognize where these will be from. Daniel 9, the power of prayer and the prayer of power. Now next week we're going to get into a section of Daniel 9 that uh, has to do with the 70 weeks of Daniel. You don't want to miss that, okay? And the prophetic calendar for Israel. We'll get into that next week. Let me just, again, in the, in the course of reading Daniel 9, let me read a few other passages. Luke 18, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then in James chapter 5, James chapter 5 and verse 16, James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Then in Daniel 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a, by descent a maid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them, 
because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we've rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we've not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity that has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He's done, and we've not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as it is as at this day, we have sinned, we've done wickedly. O Lord, according to your, all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Well, we read in James 5 about the prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. Now, in James 5, if I would have read right above that passage, James talks to us about the necessity of confession and repentance in our prayer life as well. We see in the Bible that prayer that gets a hold of God must be prayer that is honest about ourselves. And that's what we see in the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee would not acknowledge his need. In fact, he was pretty content with who he was and what he felt like he had accomplished in his life. But the publican would not even lift his eyes to God but beat upon his breast and said simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says he's the one that went home that day justified. Well, tonight we're going to look at Daniel's prayer of confession. Now, tonight's lesson is going to be a break for us, somewhat of a break from studying some of these strange images and creatures that we've been looking at. 
Daniel 9 records the prayer of Daniel for himself and his people. And again, it is a prayer of confession. In this prayer, we'll notice that Daniel doesn't offer any excuses. We like excuses, don't we? Here's some actual excerpts from insurance companies that I came across. Excuses that those placing claims have written in. One of the excuses says, Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with the tree that I didn't own. A second one, the other guy was all over the road and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Another one, I'd been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. I like this one, the telephone pole approached my car at a rapid speed. As I swerved to get out of its way, it hit me. And then one last one. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and drove over the embankment. (laughs) Folks, we don't like owning up to wrongdoing, do we? But in Daniel 9, you'll notice that Daniel is owning up to the wrongdoing of his people. No excuses, just honesty. Now I want you to see in the first four verses that the Word of God is to direct our praying. I want you to notice here what Daniel says directed his praying. He says in verse 2, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. I want you to turn back to two passages in Jeremiah. The first is Jeremiah 25 and the second is Jeremiah 29. In Jeremiah 25, in verse 11, notice what Jeremiah says there. Jeremiah 25, verse 11, says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed... I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And then over in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 12, verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And so these are passages that directed, that that Daniel said, he read, and, and these are the passages that directed his praying. You see, as he's there captive in Babylon, And he reads these passages in the prophet Jeremiah. It dawns on him that the time of their captivity is almost over. He simply did the math and realized that the 70 years are almost up. Now remember in 605 B.C. is when Nebuchadnezzar first came in and and took that first crop of people 
out of Judah and, and took them over to Babylon, beginning in 605. That was the first deportation. The first year of Darius's reign that is mentioned here is 538 B.C. And so 67 years have passed that they've been in exile. And so Daniel realizes by reading the word of God, by reading the prophet Jeremiah, they've only got three years of captivity left. Now the word of God had also told them why they went into exile. Uh, back in Deuteronomy 28, back in Deuteronomy 28, there in verse 36 it says, The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And then over in verse 49 of Deuteronomy 28, it says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. And in Deuteronomy 8, it tells them why things like that would happen. In Deuteronomy 28, uh, it is a chapter where Moses lays out the blessings on the nation if they obey God, but the curses if they don't obey God. And so what I'm saying to you tonight, first of all, is through a study of the Word of God, Daniel knows why they have gone into exile and he knows that their time of exile is almost over. He knows that God has been disciplining them and, and, and chastising them. Well, Daniel was anxious for this time of discipline to be over and so he prayed for his people to be forgiven that they might be ready to return. Folks, it is from the Word of God that we learn how we ought to be praying and what we ought to be praying for, right? We learn from the Scripture that we're sinners and we learn of God's love and we learn of His commandments. And then we look at some of the great prayer passages in the Word of God, the things that the saints prayed for, and it instructs us in what we ought to be praying for. We can learn a lot about prayer through simply studying the Word of God and, and the principles that we learn about prayer in the Word of God and the petitions that we see the saints making. And we learn how to pray and what to pray for. The Word of God instructs our prayer life. And that's what Daniel is going by here. Andrew Murray once wrote, Little of the word with little prayer is death to the spiritual life. Much of the word with little prayer gives a sickly life. Much prayer with little of the word gives emotional life. But a full measure of both the word and prayer each day gives a healthy and powerful life. Some people don't understand the connection between the Word of God and prayer. But I hope we do understand that. As we go into our prayer time each day, we ought to have the Word of God before us. 
We ought to be faithful in our devotional reading, faithful in knowing the Word of God, informed from the Word of God what we ought to be asking for, what we ought not to be asking for. The Word of God guides our prayer life. And that's what we see with Daniel here in Daniel 9. Now, second principle I want you to notice from, from this passage, we're to pray with fervency. In verse 3 he says, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. How was Daniel praying? He was praying with fervency. He took off his robes, he put on sackcloth and he fasted. You know what that says to me? That says to me that Daniel meant business with God. Sackcloth and ashes were a symbol of mourning and repentance. Fasting shows seriousness whereby something is so heavy on your heart that you don't, you don't even eat. All you care about is communing with God. Now, what a shame that we're sometimes more known in church circles for our eating or whatever it might be, right? It reminds me of three boys that were asked by their school teacher to bring symbols of their faith. The little Jewish boy brought a star of David to class. The little Catholic boy brought rosary beads to class. The little Baptist boy brought a casserole dish. What a shame that fervent prayer isn't more a symbol of our faith. One writer wrote that the prayer meeting in the church is the Cinderella of the church. It's poorly attended and little cared for. And sadly how true that is. What a shame that is. We read in Acts 4.31 that passage that I quoted Sunday morning that when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spake the word of God with boldness. Where did God's power show up? Before they prayed or after they prayed? After they prayed. We're to pray fervently. Prayer, prayer is what God uses to drive and energize the Christian life. Now look at verse 4, what Daniel says here in verse 4. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. He prayed to the Lord. Literally the Hebrew word is pleaded. And what it suggests is Daniel wrestled with God in prayer. Can you think of anybody else in the Old Testament who did that? Jacob, who wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long. And when it was daybreak, the angel of the Lord said, i got to go. And Jacob said, not until you bless me. And that's when Jacob was a changed man. And his name was changed to Israel. Jacob was a trick meant trickster, deceiver, and Israel meant a prince with God. Something happened to Jacob in that night that he wrestled with God. And literally that's what verse 4 indicates that Daniel did. 
he, became, he began wrestling with God in prayer. He's fervent in his praying. Folks, so often our prayers are just little trite repetitions and vain repetitions that we do. I think of the little boy that got confused between his prayers and his rhymes, nursery rhymes. And, 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 he, and he started praying. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If he hollers, let him go. Any, meeny, miny, mo." We're to pray fervently. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Uh, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. Third principle here. We're to pray with confession in mind. And that's what he begins doing in, in, in verse 4. Let's read on verse 5 and following. He says, We've sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. He's acknowledging their sin. We go back just through Jeremiah a little bit some of what we know that the people did. In uh, chapter 1, verse 16 of Jeremiah, God says, And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. In chapter 2 of Jeremiah, here again, just... Just looking at Jeremiah a moment because this is where Daniel got so much of, uh, of his knowledge of what God was doing in the nation. In Jeremiah too, God asked the question, what's, what's wrong with me? When Israel was young, when I first led you out of Egypt, you were like a young bride to me. You followed me so faithfully in the wilderness and listened to my voice. But what have I done to Israel now that you don't follow me anymore? And he says, my people have committed two evils. They've turned against me, the fountain of living waters, and they've dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then in Jeremiah 7, he said, There you go to the temple and you say, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You trust in vain words. And yet your heart is far from me. That was the condition uh, of the people at the time. In, in verse 4, Daniel says, You know, we've broken covenant with you, God, but you've kept the covenant. We, we've sinned, we've departed from your precepts. We've not listened. What's Daniel saying there? God, we were wrong. We were wrong. Folks, why do we have trouble saying that sometimes even to God? I think of that show, you know, a lot of us used to watch maybe 30, 25, 25, 30 years ago. Happy days. Remember Fonzie? What couldn't Fonzie say? 
Yeah, I was wrong. He'd say, I was wrong. He couldn't quite get it out. That's how we tend to be. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. God's declared that we're sinners, and that's why He sent a Savior, because we're sinners. If we say that we've not sinned, it's like we're saying to God, God, you didn't, you, you made a mistake by even sending your son. He, he talks there in 1 John about how we set ourselves uh, opposed to God because we won't admit that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we go before God, we need to acknowledge that we have sinned. We have fallen short. And like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. There needs to be that element of confession in our prayer time. Well, thirdly, I want you to notice here, uh, or excuse me, fourthly, that we're to make our petitions known. Look at what he's saying there in verse uh, 17. He says, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and do his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What's Daniel doing now? He's putting his petitions before God. Now what do we tend to do? We go right before God with our petitions. God, give me this, or I need this, or I need that, right? But what, again, what did Daniel do first? He spent time letting the Word of God direct his praying. His prayer was, was governed by, by what? Confession. And he was acknowledging the greatness of God and, and the faithfulness of God. There was that time of, pray, uh, of praise and gratitude to God. And that time of confession, and then he presents his petitions to God. Folks, what a great pattern for us as we pray. Instead of going before God and just treating God like he's some kind of heavenly Santa Claus that's automatically just supposed to address all of our petitions, we go before him in worship, in praise, and confession, and then we make our petitions known. And then our petitions need to be those that will glorify God. We don't have any right to ask for anything that would bring dishonor to God. 
Daniel is saying here, God, bring your people back and restore them to their land and restore them to the sanctuary for your name's sake because as it is right now, we're just a reproach and a byword to our neighbors. They laugh. But bring us back to the land. Reestablish us. Let the temple be rebuilt again. That everybody will have to acknowledge what you've done and the greatness of your power. So Daniel is making a petition here. Yes, the people will be blessed by this petition when God answers this petition. But more than people being blessed by it, God will be glorified. And again, that says something to us about our petitions. We need to be careful what we're asking for. Am I asking for something in my prayer life that would bring dishonor to God or would just be purely for selfish reasons? If God answers this petition that I make, will He be magnified? Will He be glorified or exalted in any way? If not, I may be asking for the wrong thing. Right? And folks, isn't this the same pattern that we see Jesus setting forth in the Lord's Prayer in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, pray then in this way. How are we to pray there? What do you say? Hallowed be thy name. May your name be exalted and esteemed. And then what do you ask next? Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come. And then the second half of the Lord's Prayer dealt with things like our daily bread and forgiveness and strength against the evil one. It's not that petitions that benefit us are wrong. We just need to put the glory of God first and then any petitions we ask for for our own sake need to fit within that boundary that God could be glorified through it. Right? Well, what's some lessons we, we see here? Lesson number one, prayer is to be like breathing for the believer. We're to pray without ceasing. By the way, we're told that in the New Testament, aren't we? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, that we are to pray without ceasing. Prayer is to be the constant habit of the believer. It expresses dependency upon God. A second lesson, the most effective praying is that which is grounded in the Word of God. Thirdly, sin will hinder our praying, therefore confession is a must. And then fourthly, we must seek the glory of God in our praying and not just things that we desire. Great pattern of praying that we see here in these first 19 verses. There's power in that kind of praying. 
Folks, if you and I don't experience answered prayer and we don't experience, we don't sense the power of God in our praying, then it's an invitation to us that we examine our praying. How are we praying? We're not dealing with pride. We're not dealing with sin, apparently. We're more like the Pharisee than the publican. Or we're asking for things selfishly. So if you don't experience answered prayer in your prayer life or sense the power of God working in your, in your life in, in any kind of way through your prayer life, I think it's an invitation to examine the kind of praying that you're doing. Because prayer like this is powerful praying. Amen? Any comments you want to make before we close tonight? Ed? No, he, he's, he's identifying himself with his people's sin. But, and, and believe it or not, uh, that's, that's a good point you make because Daniel is recognized in the Scripture as a righteous man. But he's lumping himself right in there with the sins of his people. He's not holding himself up in any kind of holier-than-thou way and, and uh, then just asking for things that would do him good. You know, he's not saying, Lord, bless me. Look, I've obeyed you. They've not. He's lumping himself right in. And the petitions he's asking will, would benefit the whole body of believers. Yes, good point. Anybody else? Yes. And, and again, that's just that's letting God's word guide us as we pray. So we'll make sure our prayers are grounded in the will of God. What else? Okay, well, let's take our prayer list out tonight. And uh, Arliss, I'm going to ask if you would get us started in our prayer time. And then... Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Mm hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. We, uh, 
we, we tend to pray so oftentimes for such small matters, don't we? Yes. And, you know, sometimes I think even on our Wednesday night prayer list, um, I, I like what Dr. Willis says uh, on what he said on occasion. Sometimes we as believers do more praying to try to keep Christians out of heaven. We do, don't we? I'll visit somebody in the hospital and they'll have a 95-year-old grandmother and she'll be suffering terribly. And they'll tell me what a beautiful saint she was all her life, how she walked with the Lord in, in such a dynamic relationship with Christ. And she'll just be out of it now and she'll just be suffering horribly. Oh, Pastor, please pray that God will heal her and leave her with us. No, pray that she'll pass uh, with God's mercy and go on home to glory, you know. Sometimes we pray so selfishly, don't we? And that's what he meant by saying sometimes we do more praying to keep Christians out of heaven. It's like God, leave them with us and God's ready to take them. Okay. All right. It goes beyond what the text tells us, but it's an interesting speculation. Yeah, without, without making excuses for the, the travesty, certainly. S certainly we believe that the, those little children are with Jesus, which is far better. Right. That's true. Right. Sure. Right. Yep, good point. We just want to hang on, don't we, sometimes? 